0: All right, hey, everybody. Hey, let's take a second. Let's welcome in uh, all of our Victory friends, all of our Victory family. We got the whole family with us today up at Victory Hamilton Mill, Victory Midtown, Victory North Cobb, everybody, Victory Online, here locally as well as around the world. Uh, Hey, we are forging ahead in our Family On Purpose series, and today we actually have a really high honor. This is somebody I've been hoping and, and, and longing and praying for to get to Victory for quite a long time. We have Pastor Jim. Jimmy Evans with us today at Victory. Uh, many of you already know Pastor Jimmy, but if you don't, let me just really quickly uh, just kind of explain just a few things. So Jimmy and his wife Karen uh, have been high-level leaders. This is this is a thing that the older I get, the more I appreciate uh, men and women who lead in God's kingdom with character, integrity, excellence—not just for a day, a few months, a few years, but do it for decades. And so uh, today we have Pastor Jimmy, who's led at a high level for decades. Pastor, did high level for decades and been blessing marriages for decades. And now uh, he's actually over XO, which we hosted here at Victory yesterday. And so Summer and I were just talking about this and how amazing that was for all the all the marriages who were able to be a part of that. The, it's very, very rare to be a part of, of something where every single speaker knocks it out of the park. Like every single speaker speaks at a high level, like sparing no expense, bringing the best. And so uh, today we have Pastor Jim. Me, who's led literally tens of millions of marriages, mentored tens of millions of marriages uh, around the world for decades and decades? And he's here with us today. And so let's do this across all of our campuses, if you're able. Let's go ahead and stand up to our feet. Let's give honor where honor is due. And let's give a warm victory welcome to Pastor Jimmy Evans.
1: Good morning. Good morning, you can take your seat. I'm gonna have Pastor Johnson travel around with me and introduce me. That was one great introduction. Thank you, Pastor Johnson, this summer, and it's been a delight to be with you guys and get to know you this weekend. I've heard so many great things about them and about this church. Now, I've been here before. Uh, Pastor Dennis and Colleen are friends of ours, so I've been here years ago but it's wonderful to be back. How many of you were at the EXO Conference yesterday? Oh gosh, a lot of you, that's great. Thank you for coming. And we had a great day. I'm I'm gonna speak this morning. If you have your Bibles there, you can uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 18. I wanna talk about successful communication in your marriage, and this also applies. The principles I'm talking about in this marriage, they apply, I'm gonna gonna specify them toward marriage, that they work with any relationship, family relationship, whatever. But Proverbs 18, beginning in verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The next verse is interesting. It says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I don't think it's an accident that those verses go together. And so that the power of life and death is in your tongue, and those who understand that can enjoy the benefit of that. That's what that means. And so I know that this scripture is true because I killed my wife with my mouth. We've been married, we will be married 50 years next May. And so we got married in 1973 and uh, we almost divorced after three years of marriage. And I was, I've always been articulate uh, as a a child. You know, the Lord called me to preach and so I've always been articulate. But before I got saved, I was very articulate in a bad way. I was an articulate cusser, you know. (laughs) I knew how to cuss really bad. And you know, just so when Karen and I got saved, I stopped cussing, but I had a bad mouth. And I was very critical of her at times. And I would say things to her that were very hurtful at times, and I killed her. Uh, on the night that I changed and we almost separated, and I apologized to Karen. When I apologized to her, the first thing she said is your mouth you have devastated me with your mouth. Words words can devastate and kill but they can also bring life. So here's what you need to understand. The devil wants to use your mouth to kill. The Lord wants to use your mouth to heal. And you decide who's going to use your mouth. The power of life and death is right here. And if you understand it and if you learn to speak properly, you can understand you can enjoy the benefit of that. And that's what happened when I changed and when I repented of how I treated my wife and began to speak differently. The same mouth that killed her brought her back to life. Amen. And so I want to tell you, uh, after 40 years of being a marriage counselor and 50 years of marriage, I want to tell you uh, the, some of the skills of communication. This is one of the most important areas of marriage because it involves every area of marriage. We talk about money, we talk about kids, we talk about everything. And so this is something that we need to get right. But, you know, who teaches us about this kind of stuff before we get married? And so maybe, you, maybe you're maybe you single. This is a great time to hear this if you're married and maybe you're struggling Maybe some of this information will help you. First of all, let me begin by why we communicate. There are six basic reasons of why we communicate. Let me just go through these here. The first is just basic information. Uh, Dinner is ready, honey, I'm home, the kids are on the roof again, you know, basic stuff. Just everyday kind of stuff. And so just basic, that's the easy, that's the easy stuff there. The second is partnership, and I'm gonna come back to this in just a minute. Uh, needs uh, meeting each other's needs, children, finances, responsibilities. We're partners. We're married, and we need to partner in in our marriage with different areas. And so we need to talk because we're partners. Number three is conflict resolution. I'll talk about this more in just a little bit. Uh, sharing, complaining, repenting, forgiving. You know, every marriage is going to have some issues. Every marriage is going to have some problems. Good marriages have problems. If you fight or have problems in your marriage, it doesn't mean you have a bad marriage. The problem or fighting is only a problem when you can't resolve it. And so if you have issues that come up and you're able to resolve it, that's great. That's a good marriage. And so I'll talk about that more in just a minute. Here's number four is connection. Now this is big. Now a lot of times when we're communicating in marriage, we don't realize it, but what we're trying to do is get validation, attention, affection, and emotional connection. Now this is research proves This has been a lot of research done on this issue. On the average meal, if a couple eats a meal together, face to face, they will connect over a hundred times during that meal. If it's a healthy couple. This is a look, a smile, a word, a response to a word, a, a joke, you know, humor, whatever. It's just we're trying to connect. And so technology has made this much more difficult. And I used this statistic yesterday during the conference. Facebook causes 25% of couples to fight every week. <clears throat> A quarter of all couples every week object to what one spouse or both are doing on Facebook. And uh, one in seven marriages, one in seven spouses regularly considers divorce because of their spouse's social media behavior. Let me tell you the problem here. I'm trying to connect to you and you're connected to everybody else but me. And this is what technology and social media has done. There was a day that you know when you were alone, you were alone. But now if you have a cell phone, you're never alone or a computer. And so we have, to, we have to realize that one of the most important things that we do in our marriage is connect, and here's what research proves. The easier you are to connect to, the better marriage you're going to have. The harder you are to connect to, the worse your marriage is going to be. And so we need to learn this is one of the main reasons that we communicate. Is just to. It's not, it's not as though I'm saying anything profound. I'm just trying to connect with you. Number five is personal information. I want to tell you something about myself. Now, this is where it gets deeper. And we don't do this if we don't feel safe. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you a dream. I want to tell you a thought. I want to tell you something personal about me. And we should be each other's safe place. Number six is intimate communication. This is the highest level of communication where I'm going to open the holy of holies And I'm going to be affectionate with you. I'm going to tell you things about you or me. You know, there's on the very deepest level. So all of these, all of these are very, very sacred areas. When communication is working, it means that all six areas are working. Okay. And so I ask you that question: If you're married, you know, are you communicating on all those levels? Okay. And you may or may not be. But what we need to understand is when any level is suffering, it affects all the other levels. Let me give you an example. I told you I was going to come back to the issue of needs, and so. This is where a lot of people struggle, and this is where Karen and I struggled so much earlier in our marriage because men are very, very different, and women are very, very different. If you marry someone normal, they're not like you. Now, that doesn't sound right, but it's right. <laughs> if you marry someone normal, they're not like you. And so women, women have four basic needs, uh, and I'm going to tell you about those, and men have four basic needs. number one need that a woman has is security. This is her mega need. This is her most important need. She wants to feel secure. Nothing makes a woman feel more secure than a sacrificial, selfless male. Nothing makes a woman feel more insecure than a selfish, detached male. She wants her husband to be sacrificial. That's why the Bible tells us as husbands to lay our lives down as Christ laid his life down for the church. That's what women need, security. Number two is open and honest communication. This is a need for a woman. is not the same for men. It doesn't mean that men don't need communication, but one of the greatest needs that women have is for open and honest communication. When a woman, when your wife asks you, you know, how are you doing? She doesn't want a headline answer, I'm doing fine. What'd you do today? Nothing. <laughs> when she asks you what you did today, here's what she wants to hear. At 6.32 this morning, I came into consciousness. <laughs> I came into consciousness. I was thinking about my meeting with Bob and feeling a little insecure about it. She, she wants you to cop it up. Okay. Number three need of women is soft, non-sexual affection. It's hard for men to understand that, but that's a need that women have. They just want to be held. Uh, number four is leadership. Uh, they don't want to be dominated, but they want their husband to be the loving initiator of the well-being of the relationship regarding children, finances, spirituality, romance, things like that. They want you to be the initiator, but they want you to treat them as an equal and include them on everything. And so security, open and honest communication, soft non-sexual affection, and leadership are the four basic needs that women have. Number four needs of men, the number one is respect, honor. Or this is our mega need, respect and honor. Men are very, very sensitive in their egos, And a lot of times women will say, you're just a big baby. We really are. We really are. We are big, big, and just one little look and one little word. This big old strong man, it can just send him off. And so we we need respect. Number two is sex. Most men are more sexual than their wives. Number three is friendship. We want to be buddies with our wives. We want you to hang out with us. We like you. We would rather be with our wives than anybody else. But we don't want to be mothered. We had a mother. We don't want another one. (laughs) Number four is domestic support is that means we want our wives to be domestically centered. Not that a woman should do all the housework, a husband should do an equal share. But women are gifted at turning a house into a home. I, I don't have that gift. I love to go to a place where Karen has been there. She just is wonderful. You know, when, men, when a man makes a bed, it's a sheet, a blanket, and a pillow. <laughs> when a woman makes a bed, it's just, it's, it just takes five or ten minutes to get in there. <laughs> It's wonderful, we just can't do that though. So, <laughs> honor, sex, friendship, domestic support. Like I said, if you marry someone normal, they're not like you, so we get married and we start telling each other what our needs are, partnership, I, if I could meet my own needs, I wouldn't have gotten married. We get married because I, I, I can't meet my own needs and, and see, I've, I've sworn fidelity to you. So not only can I not meet my own needs, I can't shop in any other store. I either have to shop at your store or I can't shop. So I'm kind of trapped here, you know, I'm at your mercy here. And so we tell each other about each other's needs and we reject each other and shame each other. That's what happens? Because you're not like me, you're not normal because you're not like me, because I'm the epicenter of normal. And my job is to make you normal like me. There's the old saying, marriage is about becoming one. The question is, which one? (laughs) And so Karen Karen would say to me things like, can you just hold me? And I thought, I would say to her, that's just weird, Karen. I had two older brothers, Damien and Lucifer, and they, they beat me up every day. My parents were not affectionate. I never had affection growing up. And Karen would say, could you just hold me? And I just thought, and I put a little headlock, kind of hug on her, you know. Okay. And I thought, you'll get used to it, I did. And, and she would say, can you just talk to me? But she did, she would always want to talk. And I thought she was nosy. You know, I just, it was the evening interrogation. And I would come home, you know, where'd you go? Who'd you see? What'd they say? what they think? what they feel? where they live? Who are their ancestors? And just like, oh, get out of here now, you know? It was, and I just thought, you know, if you're trying to kill a monster, you don't feed it, you starve it. And I thought, I'm not gonna feed the nosy monster. <laughs> and so what happened was we were, we were both normal and we were both telling each other what our needs were, but we were both rejecting each other rather than accepting each other. Listen, the greatest marriage is two servants in love. Baby, I'm here to serve you. It doesn't matter what I need. It matters what you need. The greatest marriage is two servants in love. The worst marriage is two selfish people in love. But typically, we we don't understand each other because we're so different. We're telling each other what our needs are. We're not receiving it. And because of that, it affects communication on every other level. Okay. So if your spouse is different, they're normal. Okay. doesn't mean everything is normal, but it means the basic differences they have are normal. And what you need to say to your spouse is, I accept you for who you are. I'm so glad I'm married to you. And tell me what your needs are and I'll meet your needs. That's what makes a good marriage. Let me tell you the five keys to successful communication in marriage. Five different keys that help us communicate. Number one is the right tone. Everything begins by tone. So I'm going to say the same thing three times. And every time I say the exact same words, it's going to mean something different. So it's here my first time. Okay, I understand. I'll do it. Here's number two. Okay, I understand, I'll do it. Here's number three. Okay, I understand, I'll do it. Happy, frustrated, angry. Tone means everything. Tone communicates care. If I don't care, I have a different tone. If I do care, I have a different tone. Listen, it is impossible to communicate with someone who doesn't care. You ever been in a restaurant and the person waiting on you didn't want to wait on you? And you keep trying to make eye contact or say something, and they just have this way of avoiding it. That's what it's like to be in a marriage with someone who doesn't care. And so our tone encrypts a message for our spouse. Now, I told you about the number one need of a woman is security. The number one need of a man is honor. So when you're communicating to a woman, whether you realize it or not, every word you say is encrypted to make her feel secure or insecure. Tone has has an encrypted message in it. So if you're going to be successful at communicating with a woman, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It doesn't matter what the words are. The tone has to say this to her. You come first. You're more important to me than anything else. Whatever I have to give up, I will not give you up. And if I have to crawl through 10 miles of cut glass to make sure you're okay, I'll do it right now. You're more important than anything else. Now those are women. Those, those are women, you know, hooping and hollering right now. And so, <laughs> it's the truth. And so, Karen would say, when we first got married, golf is what almost destroyed our marriage. And so, I was playing golf all the time, and Karen would say, Could, Can't you stay home? And I said, What is wrong with you? You know, I just need to go out with my friends and play golf. And I would just, my tone was just saying, You're not important to me. Something else is more important to me. But but now, um, you know, been as married as long as we have, and Karen would say, Can I still play golf? And she would say to me, uh, Jimmy, can you tell him not play golf? Said, of course. My tone. Of course. You're more important than me than anything. I'll say no to anybody else, but I won't say no to you. When you're communicating with a man, your tone has got to be like this. Every, regardless of what you're saying, what you're, the words are not as important as the tone. The tone has to say this. I believe in you. I'm glad I married you. You're a good man, and you have what it takes. Now, there you go, the man, okay, so I go out? I'm just telling you, I've done this for a long time. And so you calm, his, this is how you keep a man calm. You know, you, you, honey, I just believe in you, I think you're great, you can be objecting, you can be telling him something is wrong, but, but we're very tender there. And so you have to understand when it comes to communication, you have to begin with the right tone. And that makes all the other words possible. Number two key to successful communication is enough time. You have to have enough time to communicate. So let me talk about three different, and by the way, part of the reason that we use the wrong tone sometimes is because we just don't have enough time. You're, you're, you're busy, you're, you're frustrated, you don't have enough time, and so you end up you know kind of barking at each other and saying the wrong words. Here's three different types of communication, let me tell you some details about how to do this. Number one is proactive communication time. This is the number one type of communication. Proactive means we're gonna communicate in advance. If you don't have proactive communication, you're gonna have reactive communication. Because we didn't talk about things in advance, now we're reacting to everything. And if you have reactive communication, you're gonna have radioactive communication. And that means some things are gonna be some so painful and difficult, we're not gonna be able to talk about these unless someone gets hurt. And so proactive communication means this, three to five days a year, we're gonna go on a vision retreat. And we teach people how to do vision retreats. And a man taught me how to do vision retreats, a pastor about 35 years ago. And so a vision retreat is this. You go away three to five days uh, out of the year without your children. You can't take kids. And so three to five, I got so many amens on that, by the way, here. So, but, but you don't take kids. You can do it, you can camp, you can do an RV, you can you know, bar somebody's lake house or cabin or something like that. You can go to a hotel or a motel or a resort, whatever you can afford, it doesn't matter. But you spend half the day uh, talking and praying. And we have a vision retreat guidebook that you can get on xomarriage.com or amazon.com. But Karen and I wrote this. It helps you prepare for your vision retreat. It helps you to go on your vision retreat. And it gives you a place to record everything that you, you talk about. It kind of guides you through the things to talk about. In your marriage, and you go through there, and then you record everything you talk about, and that way you can hold yourself accountable for the rest of the year. So, this the guy that taught us how to do a vision retreat, uh, they had five children. He's a pastor, he had five children, and he and his wife would take five days a year and go on their vision retreat. They had an individual vision for each of their five children. Every year, they would go away, and they, every single area of their marriage, they would go away and pray. The, by the way, you spend a half a day doing that. The rest of the day, you just have fun. You're just together having fun. But at the end of their vision retreat, they had all, every one of their children, they believed that they knew what God was saying. How do, you know, how do you know what God is saying? You surrender your marriage to God, and then you respect each other, and you talk it out, and when you agree, you've just heard God because God is a God of unity. And when you surrender your marriage to God and you ask him to speak to you, he's going to speak to you. He's going to speak through both of you. You write that down. So Karen and I went on our vision retreat, our first vision retreat, 35 years ago or so. And we had a good marriage. I was a pastor, and I was doing marriage seminars and things like that, and we had a good marriage. But we had several areas of our marriage that we had some tension in. Uh, Our kids were teenagers. Uh, My schedule was ultra busy. That was an issue with us. And financially, we had some financial pressures, not anything bad, but things. And so we went on our vision retreat and we spent three or four days, we borrowed some friends' lake house and we went on our vision retreat. And I can just tell you this, we went in here and we came out here. We did not have any level of tension or argument in our marriage for over a year. And we did this every single year. Okay, And the reason we still do, and the reason, and when we began to fight about something, we knew we needed to have a vision retreat. The reason that you fight is because you don't see eye to eye. The reason you don't see eye to eye is you have different visions. You have one vision for the kids. I have another vision for the kids. You have one vision for the finances. I have another vision for finances. So whenever you go on your vision retreat, what you do is you surrender your marriage to God and he aligns your headlights. During your vi- See, the Holy Spirit will unify you. He only has one vision. And when you come and you, you're humble and you surrender your marriage to God and you respect each other and you talk, what happens is you come out of your vision retreat and everything, you're looking at everything exactly the same way. There's no more fighting. And so we encourage people to do this every single year. And by the way, you might fight on your vision retreat. That's okay. But what you do is after your half day is up, you just put your fight on hold and say, well, let's come back to that tomorrow morning. Let's go have fun. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this. So let's just say that your vision retreat's real bad, real hard, but, but it's successful. And it's five really hard days of talking about really hard issues. Let me ask you a question. Would you trade five hard days for 360 days of harmony and peace, yes. Yes. or would you rather not do those days and fight all year long? Of course, it's a simple question, but what I'm saying is, these vision retreats. It is Proverbs 29:18 says, "Where there is no vision, you can't keep people together." But, uh, Amos 3:3 Amos 3, 3 says, "Can two walk together unless they first agree?" No, you can't because you're always fighting about the direction. And so, Karen and I, you know, we had a good marriage we saw some things differently. When we came together in our vision retreat, it absolutely changed our marriage. Proactive communication time. The second is personal communication time. 30 to 60 minutes a day. Face to face. No phones. No television. No computer. No children. Anything like that. It's face to face communication. Karen and I, we still today, we walk together in the mornings for about an hour, an hour and a half. And we we talk and we pray during that time. We've done that for over 30 years, uh, in the evenings. Uh, so when, when I changed, and Karen was always wanting to talk, and I was trying to starve the nosy monster, but I, one day I said to her, I said, Karen, when I come home today, um, I'll sit down with you. Let's put the kids to bed. We had a little area in our bedroom uh, where we could sit, and we would pop popcorn. We'd sit in there. you know. We, after I changed, we would talk. And I said to her, let's put the kids to bed. Once we put the kids to bed, I will sit down, and I will talk to you about anything you want to talk to, uh, talk about as long as you want to talk. And I thought a couple of things. I thought, number one, I'm the greatest man in the history of the world. <laughs> and number two, they're going to find me dead tomorrow with my brain sucked out. <laughs> she's going to suck my brain out. So I came home that night, and we put the kids to bed. And I, I was afraid of this now. I was afraid of talking to her because she's always wanting to know about my feelings. I didn't have any feelings. I didn't think. <laughs> and so, so we sat down that night, and she was nice for about the first 10 minutes. Then she went after the... And she, because she would say stuff like this, well, okay, now I know a little bit about your childhood, and I know that that's why you're messed up, so here's what I want to (laughs) know. Yeah. I go, thank you? So she always wanted to know about some issues in my past, and so she immediately began to ask about, what about this? And I said to her, yeah. So I told her what happened, you know, and she said, well, how did you feel about that? I said, Karen, I didn't feel any way about that. She said, yes, you do. You felt this and this and this. And I thought, wait, that. That's a boundary violation. Excuse me just a minute. You can't tell me how I'm feeling. You know, but she's always right, by the way, when she tells me how I'm feeling. You know, my friend said he knew he married Mrs. Wright. He just said no, her first name was always. And so, so she told me how I was feeling. A couple of weeks later, I'm praying one morning and having my quiet time, and all the feelings that I had stuffed for all those years flooded me again, and the Lord healed my heart. And I was messed up. I did have issues in my life. And see, here's what I say: Men come emotionally unassembled, and talking to your wife is how you get wired up emotionally. You know, women will say, zzz, zzz, "That's a feeling. Let's wire that up, and let's remember that right there," because <laughs> we don't know what our feelings are. As men, many times I don't know what I'm feeling, but she does. Women are masters at emotions, and so talking, talking, wires us both up, and it helps tremendously. 30 to 60 minutes a day. Let me say this about your kids: You have to train your kids to respect. Your marriage, and, and children are simple. They're precious, precious, but they're simple little creatures. There's only one thing they want. They want to possess your soul. <laughs> and that's all they want. They're simple. They just want to possess your soul. They have no boundaries. They don't care if you have a marriage or not. And so they want 24-7 access. You put them to bed, you know. And they're, they're laying in bed. You know, five, five minutes after you put in bed, Mommy and Daddy have to go to the bathroom. You know, he's just like, well, five minutes ago, you went to the bathroom. Mommy, I have to go to the bathroom. So here's what you have to do. He said, well, you're, you're wearing a diaper. Use it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Mommy and Daddy, there's a monster in my room. Good, you have somebody to talk to. Leave us alone. <laughs> you know, so. So we would put our kids in bed, and we would say, We've, you've had your time. Now, this is Mom and Dad's time. And we would go in the bedroom, and that was our time alone. So you have to to make it a habit, and this is no cell phones, no no newspapers, no magazines, nothing face-to-face. It'll change your marriage. Here's the third type of communication. It's intimate communication time. And this is just where you tell each other you love each other and why you're glad that you're married. Listen to me. Five minutes of intimate communication a day will resurrect a dead marriage. When you begin to tell your spouse... Why you love them and how you love them and what you think of them and everything good about them. First of all, it keeps a positive tone in your marriage, which is extremely important. But it literally will resurrect a dead marriage. Intimate communication time. Three to five days a year, proactive communication, 30 to 60 minutes of personal communication. And then just five to 10 minutes a day of intimate communication. Here's the third key to communication in marriage. It's an atmosphere of trust. Trust. And so if we're going to have communication in our marriage, there has to be an atmosphere of trust. Um, I destroyed Karen's trust in me. 100% destroyed Karen's trust in me. And we went to church every Sunday when we first got married. Um, and I read my Bible every day. Um, but I was a terrible, terrible husband. Dominant, verbally abusive at times and things like that. And one morning I woke up and I read John 16 where Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will lead you into all truth. And... Um, that day, I went and played golf. I went to work, and then went and played golf. Came home, camera's mad, and she confronted me. And I told her to get out of the house. I told her pack your bags, get out of here. I don't want you around here anymore. And so she ran down the hall crying, and and I was in the living room, and I sat there and I thought, I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do if she leaves. I don't know what to do if she stays. I just don't know what to do. And I and I honestly thought she's all the problem. If she would change, our marriage would be fine. And she was down the hall crying, and I remembered that scripture that morning, and about the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. And, um, and I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband. That's where, this ministry, that's where my marriage ministry began. As I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband. I don't know. And that's the only time I had shown any humility in our marriage. And uh, when I said that prayer, it was blinders fell off my eyes. I mean, honestly, I thought that Karen was defective. I thought she was the problem. When I said that prayer, blinders fell off my eyes, and I realized I'm a jerk. I'm a horrible husband. I married the most precious woman in the world. I walked down the hall, got on my knees next to her. She was sobbing on the bed. And I said, Karen, I'm so sorry. And she said, your mouth, Jimmy. And I said, I'm sorry. And I said, I'll, I, you know, if you'll forgive me, I'll try to change. And so that night, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't wonderful. Um, I, we woke up the next morning. and We were kind of numb. And I woke up the next morning and I said, Holy Spirit, I want you to teach me how to be a husband. I don't know. And he told me to turn to Genesis 2, and I turned to Genesis 2, and I read this text. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And when I read that, the Holy Spirit said, read it again, and I read it again, read it again. I read it 10 or 12 times, and then I saw the four laws of marriage. I've written two books on this, the four laws of marriage. I didn't realize there were laws concerning marriage, but there are four laws and they're universal. By the way, so it says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. He said that over Adam and Eve. And some people say, how do you know that God wasn't just talking to Adam and Eve? They didn't have mothers. Adam and Eve, the only two people that never had mothers. And so these are universal laws that God was speaking over marriage. Here are the four laws of marriage. Number one is the law of priority. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother. Your mother and father are the most important relationship you have until you get married You have, once you get married, your parents are secondary to your new spouse. There's the old saying that blood is thicker than water. In other words, fight, faith breaks out, you stick with family. But here's another saying blood may be thicker than water, but spirit is thicker than blood. What God has joined together, what God, so your marriage has to be first. God told me, He said, You hang up your golf clubs, your marriage has to be first. That was number one. Number two is the law of pursuit for this cause, man will leave his father, mother and cleave into his wife. The word cleave means work. It's a a very high energy word. Marriage is work. It only works when you work at it. And a lot of people think if I married my perfect soulmate, I shouldn't have to work at it. If you married your perfect soulmate, they're messed up and you're going to have to work at it. There's no such thing as a marriage without work. Now, I've done this for a long time and I've helped a lot of different couples. And I'm telling you, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage without work. And after 49 years of marriage, we both have to work at it, but it's a wonderful kind of work. The third law is the law of partnership. For this cause, a man will leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, they shall become one. Marriage is about sharing. I was dominant. I dominated Karen. It was, it was my way or the highway. And so I had to change. I had to begin to treat Karen with respect and make decisions with her and respect her as a partner in our marriage. And so marriage is about sharing. Number four law is the law of purity. The man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. The word naked, there's the word Rome in the Hebrew. It just means exposed. God created marriage to be the most intimate relationship on the earth mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And Adam and Eve had this wonderful relationship until they sinned. And when they sinned, the next scene is they're hiding behind fig leaves from each other and God. And so when you have sin in a relationship, you cannot have intimacy because there's no trust in the relationship. I had sinned against Karen a million times in our marriage, and never one time in our marriage said I was wrong. And so on that day that God showed me the four laws of marriage, that's when I started to change. And so within two or three weeks, um, we were friends again and we you know had humor in the relationship, which we hadn't had in a long time. After several months, we were deeply, passionately back in love. Um, and Karen said something to me one day, very personal something to me one day. And I said, How long have you you been thinking that? She said, years. And I said, why didn't you tell me? She said, I didn't trust you until now, Jimmy. Trust is earned in drops and lost in buckets. And whenever you've lost trust, you have to begin, begin to be consistent in your behavior. Is your marriage first? Are you working at it? Are you treating each other with respect? And are you careful about your behavior? And when you make a mistake, do you take responsibility? This is, this is how simple marriage is. The four laws of marriage. It has to be first. You have to work at it. You have to share. And you have to be careful. That's how, that's how simple marriage is. And, so, and let me tell you why God uses me. This is the truth. God uses me because if I can do it, anybody can do it. That's why God uses me. And so at 22 years old, I'm sitting there one morning, and the Lord shows me the four laws of marriage. And I realize I violated every law of marriage. That's why we have such a terrible marriage. And the next thing you know, we're back in love. And let me say something: we've never, we've never lost it in the last 47 years. We've never lost what God gave us to the poor laws of marriage. <laughs> we've gone through difficult times and we've had challenges, but the laws of marriage will, will change your marriage, but it'll also protect your marriage. Here's number four: key to communication: the truth spoken in love. And this is Ephesians 4:15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love, the truth and love, they, they have to go together. Truth without love is mean. Uh, love without truth is meaningless. And love and truth are medicine. They have to go together. Speaking the truth in love. In marriage, you're gonna have problems, but you have to learn to speak the truth in love to your spouse. Let me give you a couple of of keys here for conflict communication, conflict resolution. Give your spouse the right to complain without paying a price. And this is critical. If you're going to be able to resolve conflict, in bad marriages, toxic marriages, like ours was, people are afraid to tell the truth because they know their spouse is going to go ballistic because they're, they're defensive. And so I went to a men's conference one time when I was a young man, and there was a, there was a guy there, a pastor. He was teaching this men's conference, a very young guy. And he, he said, he made this comment. He said, every man needs to sit down with his wife and say to her, tell me what's wrong with me and I won't defend myself. And I thought, that's the dumbest man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, why would I ask her that? She would tell me. I mean, she can't wait to tell me that. Okay, that, that was then. Well, fast forward. When you've been married as long as we have, you have code language. Um, and our code language is this, on, on a regular occasion. I look at Karen and I'll say, are you okay? Let me tell you what that means. That means if there's anything in your life that's not okay, I will stop everything in my life until your life is okay. You're the number one thing in my life. (laughs) Karen, she never has to say it twice. She never has to beg. The only thing she has to say is, here's what I need, and it's done. And so how do you know you're a good husband until your wife tells you? How do you know you're a good wife until your husband tells you? And so we feel threatened by that. You know, I want Karen to tell me if I'm not being a good husband. I was very defensive early on. And so I'm gonna give you the right to complain without losing your dignity, okay? I'm not saying I'm gonna agree with it. I'm just saying I won't attack you. I won't, I won't. you know, come at you. You're safe to come to me and tell me what your complaints are. You know, good. did you know good stores have good complaint counters? Did you know that? Did you know your favorite stores have the best complaint counters? And you go, you take something back and they they take it and they don't hassle you and they they give you a refund or let you exchange or something, but your worst stores are the stores where they they don't have a good complaint counter. How good is your complaint counter? And so in marriage, we need to have one. Number two is this, complain and don't criticize. Okay, so I want to give you the right to complain, but there's a difference between complaining and criticizing. So let me give you an example of this. So let's just say Karen and I have an issue going on And I say this to Karen. Uh, You know, Karen, this morning when we were in the kitchen, you said that to me. And can I tell you how I feel about that? You probably didn't mean anything by it. But can I just say how it made me feel? It made me feel like that you weren't over yesterday and maybe you were trying to pay me back. And I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that that's what made me feel. And so I want to hear what you have to say about that. That's complaining. You're not being attacked. You're not being accused. It doesn't threaten you. That's complaining. Here's what criticizing is. You know, Karen... We were in the kitchen this morning and you said that to me. And I know why you said it, because you're evil like your mother. And you were trying to get me back. And I want you to know I don't appreciate it. And the judge and jury have met, you're guilty, and if you confess, we'll go easy on you. That's, that's what criticizing is. We hate to be, I hate to be criticized. We all hate to be criticized. So here's, here's how we're gonna resolve conflict in our family. We're going to give each other the right to complain without paying a price, and we're going to complain. We're not going to criticize. I'm going to tell you how I feel, but I'm not going to accuse you. I'm not going to, do, I'm not going to attack your character. And whenever you do those two things, the truth spoken in love, you always begin conflict by being positive. Uh, research has proven a conversation never rises above the level of the first three minutes. So if you start out negative, it's going to be a negative conversation. But you started out like this, honey, I love you. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I married you. I would do it again. We're, we're a team. And uh, I just want to tell you something that I, I, I'm kind of bothered about, and I want to talk about it. And that's how start started. Okay, and you can get through any issue if you speak the truth in love. And if you stay positive and you complain and don't criticize. That's number four. Here's number five. is a team spirit. We're different. We're different by God's design. I was talking yesterday uh, in the conference about money languages, Um, driver, analytic, amiable, expressive, driver money means security, expressive money means acceptance, amiable money means love, Uh, analytic money means security. People look at money in four different ways. Uh, This is something that caused Karen and I to fight about money constantly until I realized we had different money languages. I'm amiable and Karen is analytic. And we would ju- we would fight about money because to me, money means love. To her, money means security. is c- completely different. And we fought about it until we realized how good of a team we are. Now, when I, I did the poll yesterday during the conference and I said, how many of you can see your own money language? And most people raised their hand, about 90%. Uh, how many of you can see your spouse's money language? I think 100% of the hands went up. And how many of you are different? Is probably 80% of the couples were different money language. And what that means is you marry someone with a different perspective of money probably you have a different perspective on money, but let me tell you, that's what makes you a good team. And so, when Karen and I talk about money, she's more conservative than me. Here's what: to me, money means love. Okay, and Karen would call me a spendthrift, and I'd call her a tight until we <laughs> until we became a team. And, and Karen is more conservative, and I say it this way: our home is more safe because of Karen, but it's more fun because of me. We're just a good team. But if if there were two of me, we'd be broke. And if we there were two of Karen, we'd be in Idaho living in a cave eating dirt, you know, to save money. That's. I sure hope she's not watching online. I'm dead. I'm not going home. Can I stay with somebody? But there are celebrated differences, there are tolerated differences, and there are rejected differences. In a good marriage, we celebrate each other's differences. Wouldn't it be weird if 11 quarterbacks ran out on the team, the game during the, the, the field during the team game? It'd be weird. You have all these different positions, and I'm, I'm glad we ca- ca- cover different positions. When I was a young man, I just rejected Karen because she was different than me and I didn't understand it, and today I'm just so thankful for her. Her differences are just like this. We, we just fit together. We fill each other's gaps so well. And so we're a team. When we talk to each other like we're a team, we honor each other, we accept each other, and that's what brings us together in intimacy. The right tone. Here are the five. The right tone. You have to start with tone because your tone communicates care and it's encrypted. Enough time annually and every day. Enough time to talk, creating an atmosphere of trust to the four laws of marriage. Speaking the truth in love, giving each other the right to complain, and complaining and not criticizing, and creating a team spirit where you celebrate each other's differences. Those, those are some of the keys of how you communicate. Now, if you're struggling in this area, you're not gonna be an expert when you leave, but here's what I would encourage you to do. Maybe have a date night, or maybe have a time where you sit down and listen to this message together, once or t- twice or three or four times, and talk about it. And that's how you grow in your ability to communicate in marriage. This is a big deal. Let me, can I say something else to you, mom and dad? And that is, you're training your children how to communicate. And they're they're going to have either an advantage or a disadvantage in their life and marriage later on because of your example to them. And this is something that's very important. So just remember as you're learning, you're not just learning for yourself, you're learning for your kids and grandkids too. Let me pray for you. Lord, bless these precious people, everyone in all the campuses, everybody who's watching online. Lord, you you know every detail of our circumstances. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll meet us where we are Heal our hearts, heal our families, heal our marriages. Do what only you can do. What Pastor Johnson was saying earlier about you're the God of today. You're yesterday, today, and forever. There's nothing impossible for you. And I just pray, Lord, you would strengthen and bless every marriage in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.